Welcome to a new episode of Front End Happy Hour. This is episode 32 and we are joined by Jessica Grist, a front end engineer at AdRoll, to talk to us about imposter syndrome. The term imposter syndrome comes up a lot in our industry and we thought it'd be a good and interesting topic for us to share our experiences and discuss how we've dealt with it in the past. Jessica, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is. Wow, uh, sure. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. So as you've already mentioned, I'm a software engineer at AdRoll. I've been there for about two and a half years now. And in terms of what my favorite happy hour beverage is, that's just a really unfair question to start out with. <laughs> Since I'm here with Mars, I think I'm going to go ahead and say wine. Yay! <laughs> Let the record reflect that Mars is drinking wine out of a pint glass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go around the table and give brief introductions to today's episode's panelists. Brian, kick it off. Hi, I'm Brian Holt, and I'm an actual imposter at Netflix, as in I'm not actually sure I work there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Stacey London. I'm a front-end dev at Atlassian. I'm Mars Julian. I'm a senior software engineer at Netflix. I'm Derek Showers, senior software engineer at LinkedIn. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. What did we decide today's keyword is? Scared. The word is scared. So if anyone says the word scared from now on, we will all take a drink. So I'd be interested to know what does imposter syndrome mean to each of you? I guess for me, it means this idea that maybe you've been doing something for a while and at some point you think you're pretty okay or pretty decent at something, but then the next day you're just like, I, I shouldn't even be doing this anymore. Like it is too hard. There's too much to know and I will never know everything. And you kind of get overwhelmed by the, the amount of things that you don't know. Yeah. It's like when you go to like a meetup and someone's giving like a cool talk or you'd like talk to someone like I'm doing this cool stuff in WebGL and you're like, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to do that. I don't belong here. I'm just going to go back and like, work at McDonald's again or something like that. <laughs> For me, it's like, you feel like a fraud. I wish I was better at something and that's kind of what it means to me in, in that regard. For me, it seems like it comes from your interpretation of somebody else maybe explaining something or talking about something like Brian said at a meetup or it could even be like at work in a meeting. But I think, you know, you have to realize a lot of times that that, that person that's talking about it has, has invested a lot of time in like learning what that, whatever they're talking about is. But I think sometimes for me anyway, I disassociate that with, uh, or, I, or I wrongly associate that with them just like being, you know, incredibly smarter than I am because, but, but in reality it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's stupid to think that way because in reality they've probably spent weeks like focused on this one thing that they're talking about. Uh, but sometimes I think that's hard to differentiate from what they actually know. Yeah. And to kind of riff off of that sort of being in an environment where you feel like that, that where everyone around you kind of makes you feel like that. It makes you feel like a fish out of water in a way that's not challenging if that makes any sense, there's there's a way to be in an environment where you're a fish out of water and you're challenged to learn new things. But to me, imposter syndrome means being a fish out of water, not challenged to learn new things, too scared to even try. And cheers. <laughs> that's cheers. 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 Didn't even say scared. <laughs> oh, did I say scared? You did. Oh, I did. You did. I did really? No, Stacy's just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> no, I said it like three times. <laughs> I'm the fish out of water who's drinking like a fish. <laughs> so it's it's just being too afraid to try, and and it kind of holds 
what the difference between challenging and imposter syndrome to me is that it starts to hold you back. Yeah, you almost get like afraid to ask something and because you think that you should know this based on maybe somebody around you or people around you and the way that they're talking about things or the way that they treat you when they talk about certain things. It's like, oh, well, I should know that. So therefore, I guess I'm, I'm not going to ask. It's the fear of being found out of not knowing what you think you should know, but also feeling like others will judge you for it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. The combination. I think that's always the worrisome too, is that people are judging you for not knowing something. Go along with that. For me, sometimes I don't, I think maybe there's, this is, there's one thing that people can point to and whether it's what about what I'm about to say or something else. But for me, it's like, I don't have a computer science background. So mm-hmm. like, I feel like, you know, as, as soon as somebody finds that out, they're going to be like, oh, you know, like that's why he doesn't really, you know, able to, to, to keep up. And I'm sure they're not thinking that, but that's like what I'm thinking. And I think there's like different versions of hey, that. Derek, we're going to have to ask you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Guess I'll go with. <laughs> me too. You're not going to have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I think what I um, what I would add to all the really great definitions that people have already said is the importance of thinking of it, it as a syndrome. I think, you know, I've been an engineer now for about two and a half years, and I think I hoped at some point that the imposter syndrome would just go away and I would magically be cured of it. And I'm realizing now um, that that just doesn't happen. It, it keeps going. It is like a syndrome. You know, you once you get to a point where like you from two years ago would have looked at you and had imposter syndrome about who you are right now, now you're looking forward two years to like the person who's that far ahead of you and you're having imposter syndrome about them so it just it doesn't really go away it's that constant growing yes (laughs) not to be depressing or anything (laughs) and i I think that's just like with front end devs specifically because every couple years or even a shorter time span than that something new comes out that is you know changing the way that we do our work and so you never, even if you've mastered fundamentals or you feel like you've mastered fundamentals or some other way of doing something that comes along and just blows that out of the water. And like you have to constantly learn and relearn how you're building web apps in better ways. And it, it just, it never ends. So I think that, that that's a big differentiator. I think some other fields, I don't think you have to relearn your entire craft like every couple of years. When have each of you felt imposter syndrome? I think the worst time I felt imposter syndrome was when I started at Netflix. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to agree to that. Yeah. Like you walk in and you're talking to these people that you've been following on Twitter forever and they're like, oh yeah, I just like invented this like super important thing that's a part of your field. And uh, yeah, that was that was tough for sure. I think it's also just starting a new job in general. I will agree, I probably felt it the most at Netflix, I think just because I was amazed with the talent that's there. But I think anytime you start a new job, you have to almost prove yourself. It's like, no, I do know what I'm doing. And and that's where that imposter syndrome really kicks in. The other thing I I found with starting a new job is that at least from the ones that I've had, it's hard to differentiate sometimes what you should know and what like you shouldn't know. So there's a lot of proprietary stuff that like you're like, oh, okay, someone's talking about this and they're using this acronym or they're using this like tool and like they're talking about it like it's some very common thing, but it's you know it's something that's proprietary to the company that that you know I'm working for. So. Those goddamn acronyms. <laughs> oh, there's so, so many of them. Many. I'd go back to um, what you guys are saying about feeling imposter syndrome, specifically at the beginning of a new job, and I'd go back further than that and say that nowhere have I felt imposter syndrome more keenly than in technical interviews. That's especially where it comes out because not only is that I mean it's inherently kind of like a trying ground 
for you. Like you're there to kind of prove that you can perform in a way that they want you to perform. And the interviewers are positioning themselves as experts. So that's for me when the imposter syndrome just goes full on crazy. They're literally sitting there judging you. They are yeah. literally sitting there judging you. <laughs> we talked about starting a new job, like maybe that's at a company, but also a position that can really shift as well. I know when I moved into being a manager, I went from being senior front end engineer or lead engineer and then now it's like you're starting a manager you basically go down to being a junior manager and that felt really really weird it's like a completely different mind shift and a different job and different role i felt like that was the hardest thing for me for imposter syndrome i want to go out more off of that interview thing because i think there's a lot to unpack there the interviews and the way that you're sort of tested on some like minutiae is is like well i should know all this minutiae but like in the real world in the real day of doing your work a lot of it's not useful it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and you you're constantly like looking up your resources and and finding references and going back to your notes. I'm a huge note taker. I take like tons of those things and I am always referencing my own notes. Like, but when you're in an interview situation, like you don't, that is not there for you. And if you can't answer some, you know, very obscure question about the language that, you know, you start to feel like maybe I don't, maybe I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've gone through so many interviews and I've, I've done so many interviews that when people ask me those questions, like, this is a crappy question. <laughs> this is a bad interview and you should feel bad. <laughs> you give them imposter syndrome? Yeah. Like the interviewer is like, actually like, I'm really bad at interviewing. <laughs> it helps, like seriously, like sometimes you can kind of help your imposter syndrome by like reframing things and just say like, I shouldn't know this. Like this is not something that's useful to me. Like I, I remember in an interview I got asked basically like, the semantics of try catch finally in JavaScript, which I just never use. Like I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've had to actually use finally in JavaScript. One of them was last week, strangely enough. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a shit? Like it's just like not not an important thing. And so if you can reframe it a little bit to say like, okay, this person should feel bad about themselves, then it, it helps. The interviewer should feel yes, bad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> shaming shaming others is how I solve my. <laughs> that's how you solve imposter syndrome. That sounds about right. <laughs> that's why I'm so hard on Mars. I never want to interview Brian. I would just be like sitting there thinking like, oh god, he just he thinks this is. Well, I'm not interviewing at Microsoft, so you're, you're, you are safe. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Has imposter syndrome ever stopped anyone from doing something that uh, you had wanted to do? Yeah, definitely. When I was just starting out speaking, it definitely like prevented me from like going out for like JSConf and stuff like that because no one goes out for JSConf their first time, or at least that's the way I felt. I think speaking in general is a tough one. Not only, even if you got the courage to go speak, what always bugs me is, am I the expert to talk on this? In my mind, at the end of the day, you're sharing an experience with people, and I think that's amazing. So you just need to remind yourself of that, but it's still, that's completely a hard one to get over. Yep. I think imposter syndrome can very easily be very paralyzing. And I, when I first started at Netflix, I actually felt it so much to the point where I almost became paralyzed in my work until one of my managers actually sort of very gently gave me a kick in the butt saying, you kind of need to get over it. Otherwise, you're never going to learn and you're never going to get any... Well, it wasn't so much about getting anything done. It was more about the learning and the growing and the, and the position that I was in. And I would say now that now that I've kind of gone through this a couple times, imposter syndrome is sort of the first phase that I hit. And it's the first phase that I hit in a way that humbles me to a point where I'm like, I don't know anything. Okay, 
like Ryan said, let's frame it a different way. I don't know anything. Let's go ask people and, you know, make connections and learn from this experience of feeling like you're not knowing. But I would say that it's definitely, you know, it's a barrier you have to get over the first time and how you deal with it or reframe it afterwards is probably up to the individual. I would say that it hasn't completely held me back from anything. What it has done is certainly delay my getting into things. So for a long time, I felt like, okay, I just need to heads down, do my work. The idea of like giving a tech talk or like getting involved in committees at work or even doing something like this, you know, was just like, I can't, absolutely cannot do that. So it's definitely delayed my getting into other things. That's how we keep Derek around is to keep the bar really low. (laughs) 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 Oh, that got dark. (laughs) I'm scared. Way to make people people feel scared, Brian. I tell you that that, that's how I get over my imposter syndrome is shaming other people. (laughs) Thanks, Derek. Ain't no problem. (laughs) This beer sucks, by the way. (laughs) Derek's referencing is Brian made beer. So now do you have imposter syndrome? The fact that you don't know how to make beer? Just give me the beer, I'll finish it. For me, one of the the most significant imposter syndrome phases for me has been when I had been starting to help do interviews for other people to come onto the team. And the system that we record everybody's feedback in, it was my first time signing into it. And I signed into it and I saw myself. Oh no. And so I got to see all the interview feedback from me, from my teammates. And nothing was mean or like inappropriate or whatever, but some of it was pretty, you know, yeah. Pretty honest, right? Like they, they didn't expect me to ever read that. And so now I know exactly, you know, in, in, you know how your teammates feel about you. So the imposter syndrome hit pretty hard where I was like starting to feel very timid about doing pull requests until they were like perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm like, they, my code will be the most perfect it has ever been. And there will be nothing for them to tear apart. You know, that kind of fear about, you know, do I know what enough to be here? And that might have slowed you down in your work, though, too. Which, so that is kind of a negative at that part, too. Right. It slowed you down trying to make it perfect for people to review mm-hmm. when it probably didn't need to be perfect. No, and and the feedback probably would have been fine because that's what pull requests are about, you know, getting feedback from your peers. But you were just so, you knew what they thought about you in that interview. So you're just like, I will prove them wrong. Like, they will know that I'm better than <laughs> what they thought. And- at that point, those tools, you should, like, close that person out. So, like, usually they have that so that, like, if you've been hired, you don't read your own yeah. interview feedback. Mm-hmm. I have a similar story in that when I started at this job, the team doesn't really interview the the people for their team. It's kind of like a general interview process and then you like get assigned to a team. But it just so happened that the one person that was interviewing that had interviewed me was my manager on my first team. And like I remember the interview being okay, but not like out of the park, you know? So the whole time, like the first few months that I was at this job, I was like, okay, does my manager hate me? And is he like the only person that gave me like a low review and everyone else like, so it was locked out, but I um, was able to ask a recruiter to read the feedback, (laughs) but luckily it was fine. But yeah, it's, but like, I mean, it's, it's the same type of thing, right? Like I was just like very curious about, and for no reason, like it didn't end up being a big deal. The way I look at it is if you're getting hired from like at a company or the most of it, is usually pretty much everyone's a yes. Yeah. Like that's. But I mean, I think with the thing with imposter syndrome is a lot of it is illogical thinking. Yeah. Right. No, no, that's a good yeah, point you know, too. Is you just get in that spiral yeah. of thinking like I'm not good. Yeah, and then as soon as you see the answer or whatever, it's like you're like, oh, okay, well, that's stupid. Do you think imposter syndrome is a bad thing, or has it challenged you to push yourself 
in a positive? You know, overall, I'd say, as weird as this may sound, that the positives have greatly outweighed the negatives for me. As I said, I think the main negative is that it slowed me down, both in terms of like relating to needing my work to be perfect. I also felt that as well. And also just slowing me down from um, taking on leadership roles and other stuff like that. But in terms of the positives, I really like how it's kept me as humble as possible. So coming into this industry from a previous industry, I used to be a teacher. That was something I was really worried about, sort of like keeping that level of humility and desire for continued learning. And I think, weirdly, imposter syndrome has definitely kept me in that state. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to say the same thing, that imposter syndrome at first can be a bad thing and in, in that there's two sides to it. There's how others will perceive you and how your network or your community is encouraging the imposter syndrome if that makes sense if they're not welcoming enough that you think you can't expose yourself or be sort of vulnerable and humble in front of them then that definitely is a bad thing if it continues to a point where you can't find a way around it but in terms of the positives the humility i would say 100 percent. that's that's the only way i've found to get over it is to be extremely humble and just realize that you don't know everything, but also when you start to admit it, you realize that not everyone else knows everything either. I mean, there's only way, one way to find that out, which is to go talk to them and, and to begin to ask questions and realize that we're all just trying to figure this out and we're all learning together. And clearly, like all of us around the table feel imposter syndrome at one point or another. I think we can all agree we've all felt. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. In fact, it's a red flag if you meet someone and they're like, oh, I don't know what that is. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. To be fair, though, I didn't know about it until four or five years ago. Well, I or if you describe the feeling to them, and yeah, they're like, okay. no, I've but never what, felt like that. Like someone <laughs> mentioned imposter syndrome, I was like, what the hell is that? So I think, and there's probably are people that don't really know that, but when you start to describe the feeling yeah. of what that is, you're right. I had this conversation just yesterday with somebody that I work with, and I said, I'm doing a, we're doing an episode on imposter syndrome tomorrow, and he's like, I don't know what that is. And, but I explained it to him, and he's like, oh yeah, I feel that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Oddly enough, imposter syndrome is not a term I knew until I entered the tech industry, and then the feeling comes before you know what it's called, and then all of a sudden everybody can relate to you, and you can relate to everyone. And I thought that was really interesting. I remember talking to Jaffer Hussein on the on the shuttle to Netflix, and he told me that he feels imposter syndrome. I was like, well, if you're fucked, then I'm definitely fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's yeah. a really good point, though, is if you have somebody that you look up to, or there's a mentor to you or whatever that also feels it, I think that that is incredibly powerful. It makes you feel a little more at ease, I guess, at that point, is yeah. knowing that someone like Joffer, who is amazing, and really I talk to him and he, he blows my mind all the time, but the fact that he's feeling like that, that's pretty impressive. So someone had mentioned, I think Mars, you had mentioned you hadn't really heard about it until it's in the tech industry. Why is it so prevalent in the tech industry? I, I really don't know. And I actually, like, I liked Stacy's point earlier about how, and I don't know if it's specific to front-end development or development as a whole, because, you know, I haven't done much other development besides what I'm working on now, but we do have to relearn things almost every year or every couple years. There's a new framework that comes along or there's a new tool that everyone starts talking about. And it's, it's just this constant changing conversation in the community that you always feel like you have to keep up with. And I think it's interesting because the tools keep changing, but also the reason the tools keep changing is probably because the the contributors to those tools felt like 
they were not good enough and needed to learn something new and build something for the community. So it's kind of this self-propagating cycle, I think. And I'm not sure how it works in other industries, but it definitely feels like we're always reinventing the wheel. So we're always relearning. So we're always reinventing the wheel and we're relearning and, you know, over and over again. Do another, it seems like, maybe I'm wrong, but like in our industry, it's very self-motivated and like, there's not like a clear path on how you, how you like continue your ability to learn. Like, I don't know, like in, in medicine or something, I would assume that there's some sort of like training if you're a, you know, a nurse or a doctor that you, you need to like go to and like they're telling you like this is the stuff you need to learn in order for people not to die, you know, like, so I don't know, maybe that's part of it. I think one of the reasons why it's so prevalent is that our, specifically the tech industry is very closely tied to the concepts of like genius and exceptionality. Like our most well-known leaders are considered to be just straight up geniuses, you know, people who come up with these incredibly innovative products products um, who like change the world. And so when we feel like the people at the top of our industry are geniuses, that's kind of a thing where how am I ever going to match that? Like, I don't think I'm a genius. How can I ever get to their level? You know? So yeah, that's, that's one reason why might be. Yeah. Or like if you're following people on Twitter, let's say, or, you know, trying to keep up with the industry. I mean, who I, f- I follow pe- a lot of people, but I feel like when you take the aggregate of everybody that's building websites across the world, who am I actually following? Like one percent, maybe, of, of all these people, and they're and they're generally people that inspire me and are like very prolific in in what they talk about. Well, if that's what I'm constantly comparing myself to, is that fair to myself? No, it's probably a lot harder. And I think we actually even talked about it in our previous episode on burnout is the fact that you're watching those people and seeing what they do and they're publishing these tweets or GitHub pages and you're like, oh my God, I need to do more of that. And it gets really hard because you're judging yourself against that like 1% and that can be really difficult. I also think it's tough too because our job is kind of a passion thing too, where we don't necessarily work nine to five on it and then be done with it is like we're going home and building things and doing that so you see others doing that too is like they're building some like open source project but they also work at google or whatever and they're doing all these things outside of work and you're like i need to do that so i think that kind of builds that imposter syndrome as well which also leads to some of the burnout which we talked about and then you hear them talk about how they work until like three o'clock in the morning every night and like go home go to a coffee shop until like and you're like bullshit nobody can do that (laughs) well i think we're kind of hitting something like we're dancing around the issue like a bunch of you just mentioned it is that it's a lot of its birth from that we're comparing ourselves to others right and the thing you have to keep in mind when you're comparing yourself to someone else is you have like an infinite knowledge of like your own disabilities and your own uh, foibles and all you like your holes in your the knowledge that you wish you had right whereas like you just see the facade of someone else right like they put out like this person knows everything about functional reactive programming but you don't know anything like maybe they they know nothing about user interface development right like uh, I kind of had that revelation again when I was talking to Jaffer and he was asking me questions about React I was like holy shit I was like I actually know more than something about than you in this very like narrow field right and that was pretty powerful. I heard the analogy once that if you're a house, right, you're comparing your broom closet to their front room, right? So like that, you walk in and it's like this magnificent front room, but it's like you say, well, my closet sucks compared to this, right? You're not really comparing apples to apples in that particular sense. Yeah, and I think kind of to build on the point that Brian, Ryan, and Derek all just made, and something I wanted to to kind of say is it's really interesting that, you know, Ryan, you brought up that it's a passion, and I think there's so many ways to be a good engineer in this community, and 
you know, like Derek touched on, there's no clear path forward. And so you can see someone who's really accomplished in what they do. For example, Jaffer, who does, you know, observables and, and everything like that. But I'm passionate perhaps about something completely different. But to me, I'm comparing myself to his accomplishments when what would be an accomplishment in my passion, a small part of UI development may be completely different than what he's doing. But again, it's, you know, we're comparing ourselves to the most vocal and their passions and accomplishments don't necessarily line up with the work that we do and that we like to do. Well, I like that there's room for so many people to be an expert at one little thing, like one piece of the pie of front end is there's so many things. And so you need to remember that too, is that like even like Joffer maybe not knowing certain things for UI, but he's doing all these crazy patterns for observables, which is amazing. And you're like, oh my God, he knows so much, but there's like areas that you knew or that like Mars will know or anybody, any one of us will know that he may not know. And I think that's really cool. I think one sort of corollary to that is um, our titles in our industry and like what are, we're expected to know as part of those titles. So to me, something that gives me a lot of imposter syndrome is if I'm working with a lot of people that value, they say full stack developers are what they value. And then it's sort of like, oh, front end isn't, like if, I, if I'm specialized in that and I focus on that, that's not as valuable or like I'm not good enough because I'm not this full stack developer person. Like what does that mean? What, why is that more valuable? So that kind of culture can also make you feel kind of like an imposter as well. Yeah, and that full stack to me honestly means that you are jack of all trades. That's the way I've taken that term is that you can do a lot, but you can't specialize necessarily. I don't like that term that much, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, when someone tells me they're full stack, I'm like, you're full of shit. <laughs> I like that. I think it's interesting, especially talking about when companies put out positions about full stack engineers and have had a, a lot of conversations with really close friends about this is that you, you have to kind of in order to deal with the imposter syndrome and get over how you feel about those positions, you have to be really introspective and self-aware to know that that company's values are not going to align with yours. And you need to put your, or at least for me, I needed to put myself in a healthy enough situation where you realize that imposter syndrome doesn't come out of a misalignment between your position and your skills, but rather like a challenge of, you know, you're in an environment with people who have similar skills, but they challenge you to be a better engineer as opposed to challenge you to, you know, be a jack of all trades when you don't want to or force you in a direction that you're not passionate about or it would be bad for the company if you did it because you might just not be very good at it because, you know, you're not passionate about it and it kind of cycles into this thing. Yeah, I think that's really well stated. <laughs> how have each of you dealt with imposter syndrome? Like, how can we help others deal with it? What are some advice that we can give others? I think part of it is that you're always worried that people are judging you. And probably that some of that arises. Brian, we're judging you right now. Well, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so you're worried that others are judging you, and you're probably worried about that because you're judging other people. And so for me personally, like being less judgmental, I'm like the best. I have all the best words. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I kind of like that though. It's like if you, so you're saying like don't judge them. Yeah. And they're probably not judging you. Yeah, and then you'll be less worried about it because it's not going to be on the forefront of your mind. I think also. I, and to that point, kind of being really vulnerable and being able to have that conversation with people, just saying, you know, you know, if they are judging you to ask them why or to be, to be able to tell them, you know, I'm not exactly sure why you did this, just to be vulnerable and to, to tell them that, you know, I'm scared Cheers. Cheers. and open yourself up to judgment and then have that conversation with them if it's if it's not well received by you or if they're not giving the right type of feedback. Yeah, I think for me, it's. When I, I remember when I first transitioned into in, into this career, 
my manager at the time told me, I was like, does this feeling ever, like I was talking to him about, I was like, does this feeling of like just not knowing everything always ever go away? He's like, nope, but you just eventually just don't care. And like, <laughs> and, and I mean, that sounds, but I think what, I think what that means is like, is your ability to just recognize it as it's irrational thinking and use it to, I think what we talked about earlier, I think it's a good thing if you can use it to grow and like, no, okay, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not as familiar as all of these people with this certain thing and, and, you know, and use that to your advantage. Well, and you've actually started new technology and the fact that you're building iOS using Swift. Yeah. And that was definitely a challenge. I mean, it's, you know, I, I even, so I've been, I've been doing Swift for like six months and still like, I, I have constant battles in my, with myself. I'm like, I, I should know more. Like I, I, you know, I've been doing this for six months. I should know more. But then like, you know, I'll have somebody tell me, Oh, you, you're going super fast. I'm really impressed. I'm like, really? <laughs> I don't feel like I'm going that fast. One advice I'd give people is like when you hear those types of things, write that shit down, like write down the positive feedback and just like keep that in a note or like Google Doc or wherever is like to remind yourself that, yeah, you do know what you're doing. There are things that you are kind of keep track of that shit. So when you are feeling the imposter syndrome, take a look at that and I'm like, Derek, you're ramped up quickly. And you're like, shit, that's good. You're special, Derek. Thank you. I think what's really helped me with that is constantly pushing myself to look towards the past. And this is something that engineers in general, I think, aren't very good at. We'd rather sort of rewrite code entirely or write new code instead of work with existing code and make it better. But basically just look at what you did even say six months ago and compare it, even if you just take two pull requests, like one from six months ago and one from last week. I like every time I've done that, I've been amazed at how far I've come. And if you go even further back, like a year to like right now, you'll be like, wow, I. Sometimes you'll be like, wow, I can't believe I wrote that code. Sometimes you'll be like, wow, I can't believe I wrote such great code last week. You know, so uh, that's what I do. I hope my code from two years ago doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) That's scary. Does that count scared? Yeah. It's probably a bad thing if you look at your code from two years ago and I was like, this is really good. I think what's really humbling, actually, is when you read code that you don't even understand anymore. Like, it was too clever to begin with, and you tricked your future self, and it's it's not even readable by other developers. That's always fun. That's not good, though. No, I mean, it's always interesting. You're like, what on earth is this doing? Keep yourself imposter syndrome. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Or you're like, well, past me was really stupid, so. I think one thing, too, we can do, it's not necessarily to help alleviate your imposter syndrome, but we can all be better citizens of the tech community by being more kind to each other. So when you're at work and like someone does something really good to actually say it like to your peers, it's not just your manager's job to be like, good job. It's like, say something to your coworker, like that was some really great code or thanks for helping me out. I really appreciate it. And by doing that, I think that that would then start to fuel it being reciprocal. And I think all of that together would help, I think, to alleviate some of the imposter syndrome. Be excellent to each other. Yes. I think the interesting thing is, is when was the last time on a pull request you said, wow, I really like that. Right. Or it's usually, uh, can you tweak this? This doesn't make sense. This isn't good. It's Use always constructive. Instead of taps, please. <laughs> That's always important feedback. Well, it's interesting that you say that because tools like GitHub and any sort of version manager and pull request are really set up to encourage constructive criticism. But when someone thinks the code is great and has nothing bad to say about it, they usually nitpick. And that's because the tool re- requires some sort of input from the person who's been tagged to review it. And maybe that's a longer conversation about the way our tools are designed to shape our sort of interactions 
questions, but I think it's really interesting that people brought up the pull request angle. Yeah, we need more like high five emojis in well, our pull requests. Out, I love how you can now leave emojis on GitHub comments. This isn't new. It's probably like three or four. Months old. Um, <laughs> oh, I've used that for a long time, like the ship it code. But it's nice to just be able to attach like ta-da to someone's like PR description. Let them know that you appreciate them. Must be nice to use GitHub for pull requests. <laughs> what do you oh, use, wow. Derek? Some proprietary, or not proprietary, it's open source, but it's called a review board. You can't use emojis. You should use Bitbucket. That's my biggest complaint. Bitbucket? <laughs> Why, Stacey? Why should we use Bitbucket? Because it's an excellent product. <laughs> I think another thing, too, is we talked about it as we grow. Like I think, uh, Jessica, you mentioned it as you start off and you think, oh, okay, I'm going to get over this imposter syndrome. And then you look, you're two years ahead and now you're looking two years and you're always kind of constantly doing that. But I think it's good to remember that you have had success in your career. You have grown. And whether it's finishing school or gaining experience from the previous company that you were at, everyone is still growing and learning. So everyone's going through that. So I don't know how you force yourself to think through that, but I think it's always important to just take a step back and say, oh yes, everyone's going through this at some point in time. I think when you're thinking through something and you start using the word should a lot, that should set enough like red flags in your head. Like the should word is dangerous. Like I should know this, I should be able to do this. And like, sometimes it's good to like step back and question that. I was like, wait, sh should I really know how to do this? Like I've been doing all this other stuff. Should I know 3JS up and down right now? Well, probably. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Like that. Whenever we start using should, that's a dangerous path to go down. Stop comparing yourselves to others. I think you mentioned that earlier about like looking at Twitter, and I think we've all mentioned that. But that's another one. Stop comparing yourself to everyone else. You're all in different spaces. Definitely. Doesn't imposter syndrome get better or worse as you advance in your career? That's it's about the same. Yeah, I would agree. It's really relative to where you are. I think you start like Jessica mentioned earlier. You start to look forward. I mean, every, you know, we're always in a position of looking forward so we're always going to have imposter syndrome about something no matter how much we've learned i think at least for me and i don't know how everyone else feels but you get better at managing it but it's yeah. still it's still the first phase you experience when you're launching into something new whether it be a new project a new you know team new job new opportunities like speaking and everything it's it's the first phase at least for me. I think what gets better over time is that it becomes less of a syndrome in the sense that like a syndrome is a bad thing that you don't want to have. Um, so with the more experience you have, it, it stops, you stop feeling the effects of the, the negative parts of imposter syndrome, like feeling held back, feeling shame, like feeling all the shoulds. And you start thinking of it as just a way to keep yourself humble and learning. Yeah, I think that this is a, we had talked about this in a previous episode, but about mentors. I think this is a really good reason to get a mentor because like Brian said earlier, and like we've all talked about, like it's having somebody that, that you look up to that also deals with the same stuff. I think, it, I mean, and, and you could, it's not like you need to hear it once. You need to hear it all the time. So like, you know, like anytime you go through it, cause it just happens because of it being like a syndrome, like it just happens over and over again. So just talking to somebody that you respect and that you look up to and for them to tell you that like they had this exact same feeling the other day is, is, um, something that's really going to help. I think that's so powerful, like hearing when someone else deals with that. I think of the one in particular that I remember a story where someone I looked at up to as a speaker had shared a story with me that they were so nervous on a keynote that they had to speak at that they threw up right before they went on stage. And I was there and saw the talk that was given and it was amazing. And I would have never known that 
it was delivered so well that I was like, oh my God, this is so good. But the fact that behind stage, you didn't necessarily see that is that this person was super nervous. And to me, that was like a really powerful message. I thought that was really cool. To throw up before you give a talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. I've thrown up before a talk. Yeah. There you go. So Brian Holt speaks really well at talks. There you go. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, <laughs> I think this is imposter syndrome playing out right here. There are many people in this room who look up to Brian as a speaker and he's like, yeah, I'm a terrible speaker. Have you puked on stage? I mean, I don't want to talk about it. Isn't, that, <laughs> isn't that why you puke before you go on stage? So yeah. it's guaranteed that you won't puke? That's good, yeah. <laughs> so I, I know we've kind of... Sp- touch on it a bit briefly about what advice we'd give to others put a twist on it is if you notice people like a colleague or someone that's you kind of can tell that they're dealing with imposter syndrome how would you approach helping them in that manner yell at them across the office hey stop it that's why i just like you hear me sometimes on netflix office doing that Do you yell at Mars all the time? Yeah, haven't you heard it? (laughs) It's all all caps and slack. (laughs) Exactly, that's true. For me, it's pretty simple. Touching on what a few other people have said, like just be excellent to them. If you feel like they're going through that, compliment them on their pull requests. Try to find something, like anything that they've done that you admire um, and just let them know about it. For me, that's like... I feel that's better than like directly going to them and saying, hey, I think you might be suffering from imposter syndrome. (laughs) I can help you with that, you know? (laughs) Just try to like build them up. That's not helpful, yeah. Yeah, try to build them up without making it too obvious that like you've noticed. (laughs) I think one thing teams can do for each other is because you can't know all the things and your teammates know things that you don't know, have like try and create a culture where you like you share that knowledge with each other so if you have like maybe once a week to get together and somebody from your team share what they know about something or you know talk talk through your code with the team or you know that kind of knowledge sharing i think helps everybody adjust that imposter syndrome a bit i think it also helps that having someone be an expert in one area and then another person's an expert in another area you can share that knowledge to try and help you both be better at whatever it is that you're trying to achieve realizing that not everyone's going to be an expert in everything so I, I like that as we wrap up today's episode we like to share pics of things that we have found interesting that we'd like to share let's go around the table and share our picks for today's episode brian start her off i'm gonna pull one on since he can't be here to defend himself and I'm going to pick Jem Young's course on Frontend Masters. It launched uh, this past week, and it's phenomenal. <laughs> it's a full-stack course. <laughs> <laughs> it is very good, though. It's really awesome. It covers, like, uh, command line fundamentals, like, what DNS is, like, a bunch of that stuff that front-end developers don't learn typically by themselves that you can feel imposter syndrome about. Jem just goes over in, in really simple detail so that you no longer have to feel any sort of imposter syndrome about how to deploy or things like that. I think it's good too, because that does help those conversations. So at least if someone you're in a meeting and some backend engineer is talking about something that you don't maybe understand, at least you're like, oh, at a high level, I can get that. And I think Jem does a very good job of speaking to that. Yeah, and then you can call out on their shit. It's like, no, Jem Young said this. <laughs> I'm going to call Jem Young out uh, using Jem Young as my source. <laughs> That's all I got. So I have two picks. My first pick is uh, glitch.com. And uh, it's a new, I don't know how new it is. I, I don't know how long it's been around, but it's from the creators of Trello, Fog Creek software. 
And I thought it was a cool pick for the imposter syndrome show because like how complicated things are some of like to get a web app going these days is it can be kind of overwhelming. And if you're kind of new, maybe that's like almost a blocker for you. Like I can't even get this running. Now what am I going to do? So this is a, it's an app that gets a lot of that stuff scaffolded for you and has the whole app there. It can deploy it, run it. And it's, it gets you going, I think a lot faster. And I think it's, it's kind of an awesome tool. So that's my first pick. And then my second pick is a new song from Butane called Empty Promise. Um, he hasn't put anything out in a while, I don't think. So I appreciated. I always appreciate new music. Jessica, what do you have? Well, I was told in the instructions for the podcast that our picks did not have to relate to tech. They could be things like... Oh, they can be anything. Music, TV, books, etc. So I'm going to uh, reveal my other geek colors here and say that I'm totally obsessed with history and that one of my favorite podcasts is called Stuff You Missed in History Class and I would recommend everyone take a look at it. You can't advertise other podcasts on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I'm, I'm feeling shame and I might even be a little scared. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a fantastic podcast, so uh, go and uh, take a gander at it. Mars, what do you have? <laughs> I'm going to have two picks for today. The first one is a conference called Nordic.js. Why'd you pick that one? I don't know. I think I might be speaking. I have to check. So a little self-promotion, but also I've heard it's a really great conference. And if anyone wants to come explore Scandinavia with me, you're more than welcome to. And the second is another podcast, which will give you major imposter syndrome called How I Built This. <laughs> I know, here, just to help you, you know, in how you feel in your life. It's an NPR podcast, which uh, really gives a lot of insight into how a lot of the the perceived geniuses who start companies either stumble on or, you know, build their companies. And actually, I think it really helps with imposter syndrome when we think about it, because you hear the really detailed origin stories of all these companies. For example, Crate and Barrel, Lyft, they're either tech companies or they're not. And it's just you hear the mistakes, you hear the you know happenstance that goes into building these giant corporations. And it's just really, really interesting to hear these people talk about how they've built their lives. I'll second that. I listen to that one often. I yeah, really it's like great. Yeah. Derek, what do you have? All right, I have three. Two are real, one's not. <laughs> One's a <laughs> imposter. Yeah. <laughs> so my first one is EmberConf. It just happened last week. If you write Ember and you want to know what like the state of the framework is, I definitely recommend uh, on YouTube. They publish uh, both days of the Ember videos. So if nothing else, just listen to the keynote with Yehuda and Tom. <laughs> I have imposter syndrome right now because Brian is looking at me. <laughs> The other thing uh, that I thought was pretty cool that just came out, it came out a little while ago, but CodePen Projects. Um, so it's a, a um, enhancement to CodePen, and you can essentially do what you could originally do with CodePen, but have multiple files and uh, do an actual project. And you can even deploy that to GitHub or whatever and have like, and deploy it to an actual like server. So it's pretty cool. And then my third one, I had to mention this because I went to see a movie yesterday, and I normally go to this place called Alamo Draft House. Alamo Draft House is across the country, so hopefully there's one near you. But I went to a different theater, and I was like, I don't want to go to this theater, but Alamo Draft House wasn't playing the movie that I wanted to go see. So it Kabuki. I went to Kabuki, <laughs> yeah. and I was not impressed. I was like, it was thirty dollars for two drinks, and 
It was. The, I mean, the draft house is pretty damn expensive. It is, but it's it's like not not. It wasn't these and prices. They have boozy milkshakes, which you know. <laughs> I, I love the draft the house, and but if you're faulting Kabuki just on and price, one of the coolest things I think about on the draft house is is they do tailored pre-shows to the movie that you're about to see. So they like I went to see the Star Wars, and they did like all this like history of Star Wars, and it's like custom for the movie. I think that's really cool. I went into this theater and I just sat there and looked at a white screen and was thinking about how much I hate this theater. <laughs> So your pick is an anti-pick. No, so my pick is Alamo Draft House because I would never go anywhere else. <laughs> All right, so I have two picks. One is React Comp videos are now up. I'm going through them. They're amazing. Uh, like each talk I watch, I wish I was there when they were presenting because it's really good. So I highly re recommend checking those videos out. And then my second pick I'm going to pick because I feel sorry for this show has been picked on in the media and saying that Iron Fist is not that great. I disagree. I've really enjoyed it. So Iron Fist, it's a Netflix original. It's awesome. I really enjoyed it, but I know the critics are picking on it saying it's not that great. I highly disagree. It's good. I liked yeah. it. So before we end the episode, I want to thank Jessica for joining us and being a guest. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It was a pleasure having you join us. Where can people get in touch with you? Yeah. Um, so I do have a Twitter. I forced myself to get a Twitter when I switched into engineering, having resisted until then. Yeah. So my Twitter is, I'm going to have to spell it for y'all. Uh, it's the Hackstress, which is uh, spelled the, obviously. You probably know how to spell the. And after it is H. A-C-K-S-T-R-E-S-S. -S. Well, thank you all for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at FrontendHH. And I'm scared to ask any last words. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, cheers. cheers. <laughs>